Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey, everybody. We are back for another episode of Ask Katie Anything. And I have a bunch of your questions. As always, we don't know how many we're going to get through. Um... But I have, how many do I have? I have 10 that are prepared. And I saw all of your comments below um, the question I asked. Well, it's a post and I asked for your questions on my YouTube community tab. I see there's like 268 or something of them. Um, So know that I will be going back and I'll be pulling more. If there's a question that you like, as always, just give it a thumbs up because I'm trying to pull the ones that have the most thumbs up. I don't know why the community tab won't let me filter them that way, but... I'm doing my best. Um, So yeah, how are you? I hope your day is going well. Today's been busy for me um, filming and, you know, just a day of creation. So let's continue in that. Um, It's funny because I did that video a couple weeks ago about like the coronavirus and it's called This is Hard to Talk About. And I thought it was going to like do terribly because I was like, I'm just rambling and I don't know if people even care and, you know, and I'm not saying people don't care. I'm just saying like, is this even pertinent? Um, but I'm contemplating doing another because I feel like as the weeks trickle on, it like gets harder and weirder. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But anyway, those are things that are on my mind, things that I'm dealing with, things I'm thinking about. Um, let's get into your questions. Are we ready? Let's have a sip of our water. Let's get started. Okay, question number one. Katie, my therapist talks about herself a lot. I kind of want a new therapist, but I don't know how to tell her that. Is there any advice you can give me? Yes. Um, I've talked about this before. I have a video from like back in the day, and it's even in my book. If you didn't know, I wrote a book. It's called Are You Okay? A Guide to Caring for Your Mental Health. It's kind of just a beginner's guide when it comes to mental health, uh, what it is, how to get the right treatment, what are the treatment options, who are the providers you could see, all that stuff. Um, Anyways, a therapist that talks about themselves is actually not good. I think um, there there is a time and place, like I've talked about this in videos in the past, where if I am sharing, let's say my patient's father just passed away. Sorry, I got an itch on my nose. If a patient's father just passed away and they were like, you don't understand, like you don't know what it's like to lose a parent, I might, at my discretion, if I feel comfortable sharing, share that I did lose my father when I was 20, I think I was 24 when my dad died. Um, and I might just share a little bit about that, how how uh, I did have lost a parent and I do understand, unfortunately. Um, I wouldn't share much about it, but I'd share it as a way for them to know that I get it and that I can empathize with their situation. And it's not, um, it wouldn't be, the, the, the real line is if you share as a therapist uh, as a way to to help your patient, you don't share as a way to help yourself. That's the difference. I know that sounds really like difficult to 
to understand, but it's super easy when you are the therapist. You're like, am I doing this because it's going to benefit them? Or am I doing this because it's like my own shit that I should be talking about in therapy? And so that's an easy kind of line to toe. And it's easy for, for me. I've never, I don't share much in therapy, period, because that's your time. It's the one time in your life that the 50 minutes allotted to you, or if you do double sessions, like, you know, then double that. But it's that, that's your time. And that's the only time in your life when you can be completely selfish. You get to talk about all the things that are bothering you. You don't have to ask the other person, oh, and like, how are things for you? Are those things better? Are you doing better? You don't have to check in. It doesn't matter. It's your time. And I think that's really important. And so if your therapist is talking about themselves a lot, I really don't think it's a good thing. I just think it's weird. Even my mom, um, my mom over the years has been in and out of therapy, but we, I grew up in a really small town. So the uh, available therapists aren't that great. And I'm not saying that there's not a good one out there. I just haven't found them. And I've looked online and nobody writes reviews. And the area I grew up in is, is definitely an older population now. So I don't even know if they go to therapy that I don't know. It's, it's all sorts of crazy. I did all this research, found her one therapist, like took her insurance. It seemed kind of decent. And after a few sessions, my mom, my mom was like, yeah, she shares a lot about her life. And I was like, well, how so? You know? And she's like, yeah, I, I told her about losing your father. And she went on this whole thing about her ex-husband and, and went into a lot of detail and kept bringing it up. And I was like, oh, fuck, that lady needs to see her own therapist. And so I know I'm like kind of off topic and all over the place, but I give you those examples to show that like that that shouldn't be happening. Like I barely know anything about my therapist. I know she's Canadian because she said sorry once. And I was like, uh, where are you from? She's from Toronto. I know she's married and that's it. And she's not retiring anytime soon. That's all I know. And I'm fine with that. And so I really think that our therapists should share less and less about themselves. Like it shouldn't, it's okay for them to share when it benefits us, but that's not that often. It's a very limited amount. And I know some therapists like will disagree and be like, but that helps grow the relationship. It's not that kind of relationship. This isn't like a normal friendship. This is a therapeutic relationship. And I believe showing up for your patients, being consistent, being supportive, being empathic, feeling for them listening, all of that is what really grows that relationship, not oversharing on the therapist side. And so I would really encourage you to see, to find a new therapist. And I think the question, so she says, um, I kind of want a new therapist, but I don't know how to tell her that. The best way is, first of all, therapy is all about you. You don't need to worry about what they think. I know that that doesn't remove that, like, but it's a human and I don't want to talk to them that way. And I worry and like, ew, all the stress that we have. But I do think it's okay to write down how you want to say it, practice saying it ahead of time and plan on doing that. I'd honestly just leave a voicemail. I know that sounds bad. Maybe you'd want the closure to go into session. Do what's best for you because you don't have to do it in session. Why pay for another session if you're like, I don't want to see this person anymore. So all I would say is I'd probably call and either talk to them or leave a voicemail and say something effective. Um, I'll just pretend that I'm breaking up with myself or something. And be like, hi, Katie. Um, I just wanted to call and let you know that um, I will no longer be needing to see you. I'm actually going to see a different type of therapist. I just think it's a better fit for me. Um, I hope all is well. Thank you so much for all your help over the years. If you need anything else from me for insurance, billing, et cetera, you have my number. Otherwise, take care. Um, all the best. Bye. Simple. And I know that it's hard. I know we worry about what if the it's not about them. It's I don't take it personal. It's, it's your therapy and I want it to be the best for you. And if I'm not that good fit, then that's okay. That just is what it is. I don't have any problem with that. And I don't think that, um, 
And honestly, if a therapist does get their feelings hurt, even more reason why you shouldn't be seeing them. And that's why it's like, don't you have to go in for another session unless you need the closure, unless you want to like, I don't know, not titrate down, but if you want to like properly discharge from this person, but if it's not a good fit, you shouldn't spend any more time or money there. I would look for someone else, find a new person um, that's a better fit and stop seeing them. Just leave them a message shoot them an email. I don't really care. Um, It is good. However, if you struggle to stand up for yourself and speak up and let's say, uh, it's mainly to stand up for yourself, but let's say a friend always, like they always do what they want and they never take into consideration how you feel. It's always what they're wanting on their time. Like no matter how much that puts you out, it might be good practice for you to go into session and in person say this because it's a safe space. It's the one place where you can you can say how you feel, be anxious, nervous, talk about how you feel that way and get support in the moment. I know that sounds weird, but therapy is that really cool space where I get to think about myself, be working to better myself. And my therapist holds that space for me, helps me feel comfortable, helps me process all that I'm feeling. And yeah, and then we get to move forward, we get to learn, we get to grow, right? And so it could be good practice to do it in session. I just don't want you to have to like, I know finance, like finances are tight for a lot of us already. Um, Time is difficult. And I know right now, obviously, we're in the coronavirus pandemic. So it's not like you're going into their office anytime soon. But even if over Skype, I think it's good practice to say it to a face to say it out loud and like, stand up for yourself, do what's best for you. Sometimes that's hard. I have trouble with that. And so yeah, I think that that's the advice. Find someone else. Um, trust your gut when it comes to therapy. If any of you out there are like, I don't know, I mean, my therapist like always, you know, we seem, we seem to fill the 50 minutes easily, but I just don't really feel like I'm getting what I need or I don't really feel like they understand me or I don't really trust your gut with it. If you've seen them a few times and you don't feel like, hey, they're on my side, they're listening to me. I feel like we're on the same page. Um, you know, they're not talking about themselves. We have like some kind of plan and goals in place or I'm working towards it. If you don't feel those things, then it's best to get out early. Like why waste our time and money? We might as well find someone who's a better fit because I'm telling you, when you find that therapist, that's a good fit that gets you and can push you and challenge you that, that like a right amount. God, it's so good. It's so helpful. It can be super beneficial. You can, it literally changes your life. So don't hesitate. Okay. Question number two, what is your take on cutting toxic family members out of your life? This got a lot of thumbs ups. I feel like it's really stigmatized in our society, especially when it comes to mothers. Yes. And I'm also not sure how to go about actually doing it in a nice way if possible. Um, I It is interesting that it's stigmatized. People are like, you don't even talk to your mother anymore. You don't even talk to your parents anymore. Um, yeah, I had some fucking good reasons and that's why I don't. I know not all of us feel okay saying that. That's how I would approach that. But, And I can't tell you how many times a day or week or month, all the time, I'm so grateful that my mom is like supportive, loving, loves Sean, supports us. No cattiness, no manipulation, isn't toxic. Oh my God, I'm so grateful. Um, I think it doesn't matter if we're related. Related doesn't give you extra passes. It doesn't mean that I have to put up with your shit for longer just because we're related. I know that sounds very harsh, and it, but it comes out of a place of love because relationships are relationships. They take work from both people. And if one person in this relationship 
believes that they're never wrong, believes that they're entitled to explanations for why you did such and such 20 years ago, they laundry list. I mean, if, if that's that type of, that's the type of relationship they're able to have, right? We have to think, and this is something that's kind of important and it's been helpful for me in my life, is taking a moment in your relationships in general to consider what you would like out of that relationship and then compare and contrast that to what that person's able to give. This is extremely revealing in how those relationships will be able to grow in your life or not. I can tell you that saved me so much energy and time over the years. And I'm like, hey, this person actually isn't able. And it could be for a lot of reasons, right? I'm not just talking talk like they're toxic, like toxicity or anything. I'm talking like, hey, some of my friends have little children right now. And that is like a full-time fucking job. And I appreciate them and I understand. But it's important for me, instead of being upset that I don't, they don't return my texts or calls or we don't get together as much anymore, it's important for me to understand my expectations and then compare that with with what they're able to give. And then, you know, come to an understanding within myself, right? And even have a conversation with them about it. Like if they're one of those friends, because I have some friends who are much like myself who over-apologize and feel bad for everything. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't able to. And I'm like, you had a baby. You've got, your life has been thrown, you know, it's totally changed and that's okay. I'm still here. I still love you. I still want to see you, but things are different. and, And we just have to accept that. A lot of us have a tough time with that. But back on to the topic of toxic family, I we don't owe family anything. It, it's great if we have supportive um, and healthy relationships with family members that that can be a wonderful support system and a wonderful like fallback and uh, all the good things that can come out of family, right? Someone who gets us and understands us and supports us and loves us, um, has known us our whole lives. There's a lot of that that can be great. However, if the it's a narcissistic parent or to, just toxic, someone who manipulates or gaslights or does any of those things, you don't have to have them in your life. And I, I think that as a community, as a society, we need to change the way that we stigmatize that. Because when someone says, oh, I don't talk to my mom anymore, I don't talk to my family that much, the, the response shouldn't be, what'd you do? Or, oh my God, really? The response should be, that must have been hard, but I, I'd assume it's a healthy decision for you. I've said that to people I've met over the years where they'll, they've told me that they don't have any, they've gone no contact. That's what a lot of people will say. I've gone no contact with insert mother, father, sister, brother, whomever. And I'll say, oh, that must have been a tough decision, but I assume that was, it was good for you. It feels better. And that's when you get the real answer because if they made that uh, conscious decision, and it's been better than that. They're like, yeah, like, thanks for getting it. It was hard for me to come around to do, but I'm so fucking glad I did. And so we as a society have to change the way that we talk to other people about it and how we understand. So I'd encourage all of you out there, if you're like, hey, this isn't my life, or I'm not going through this, consider what I just said, and try to remember that if this ever comes up so that we slowly change the conversations. Because I think the sooner we can cut those people out of our lives, the better. And I don't mean just like any time anybody wrongs you, it's just, but if there's a pattern of behavior, if there's a pattern of disrespect, a pattern of entitlement, of manipulation, of gaslighting, of just these shitty behaviors that can lead to anxiety, depression. Um, I've even had patients with eating disorder, self-injury, suicidal thought that can lead to all sorts of mental health issues. 
that's not a good place for us. That's akin to going into a, a, a home and staying in there when everybody has the flu and you don't. And you're like, I don't know how I'm not going to catch this because you're probably going to catch it. It's like we can't put ourselves in these unhealthy, nasty, icky situations with people who are terrible and be expected to to like be okay. It's just not safe. It's not safe for us. It, it like I guess a better example would be like if your child was just learning to walk, would you put them in a room with a shit ton of sharp objects? <laughs> no. And that's what this is. It's like we're taking our mental health and our wellness and we're putting it in this really toxic, unhealthy, unsafe environment. And so I truly believe the sooner we can cut those people out of our lives, the better. If they want to apologize and make amends and try to come back, that's up to you, whether you want to hear them out, whether you want to potentially try again. But going back to a video that I put on my channel, uh, was it this last week? I think it was this Monday. Yeah, it was last Monday, like a few days ago. Anyway, that video, uh, forgiveness versus reconciliation is super important to, to notice. Like, it's okay if they come around, and they want to apologize and you say, I forgive you. It's okay. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to be friends with them or be uh, in a relationship anymore or see them ever. It doesn't mean that. We can forgive and forget and not have them in our lives. So just keep that in mind because I, I really think that we, by and large, in my experience, if people were able to cut out toxic family members sooner rather than later, the only thing that would have changed is all the trauma and pain that we've been through. It would have been lessened significantly. I mean, I have patients who have tried to go back to be in a relationship again with like an, a past abusive parent and it, it only gets worse. And then the, there's more trauma on top of it because that person hasn't changed. We've changed. And so I guess in summary, because I could really talk about this for a long time, in summary, I support cutting out toxic family members and the sooner the better. We can always come back and try to, if, if they've changed and we've changed, we want to try again. That's up to our discretion at the time. However, I, it, life is too fucking short. I only have so much time every day. You only have so much time every day, right? We don't have the time to deal with this anymore, especially because when someone's toxic or narcissistic or antisocial or um, manipulative in any way, I don't have that kind of time and energy. I'm sorry. Actually, no, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. I'm I'm disappoint, disappointed with their ability to be in a relationship with me, and I wish it were different. But that doesn't mean that I have to go against my own self-worth, wellness, mental health to make it okay for them. Mm-mm. That does that's not how this works. How this works is a relationship with me and a relationship with you, right? Those are privileges that people earn through trust and growth and understanding and mutual respect and and support. And if they can't, if I wouldn't be friends with them, why would, you know, why would I allow them to be in my life at all? That's the thing about family. For some reason, we, te- we tend to hold our friends and other people in our lives to these higher standards, meanwhile, letting our family just shit all over us. And so, I just really think the sooner we can cut them out, the better, Um, because it's those patterns. If you look for a pattern, it's been happening for more than a couple of years. It's too long. I think that's the time to be like, you know what? We can talk. We can be cordial to each other at the the Christmas party or whatever every year that our family has or that Thanksgiving dinner. We can deal with it then, but that's it. 
And I think that's fair. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. There's too much trauma in the world. There's too much upset. There's too much stress. There's too much going on already for for me or any of us to be putting in time and energy into someone who's not doing the same for us. Um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. If you guys have follow-ups, this is something I'm really open to talking about just because it is so common. We put up with shit from family way more than we would for friends from friends. And I don't think uh, it's not right. They're all relationships and they should be treated equally. Kind of going back to, and this is the last thing I'll say about this. Um, the video I had about uh, in a relationship with a narcissist and like if uh, your parents a narcissist um, in there on both of them, I mentioned that we don't owe our parents anything. I think a lot of people are like, your mother birthed you and like took care of you. Yeah, they decided to have a child and then she dealt with all the things that go along with deciding to have a child. It's not that I don't love my mom or am not grateful to her, but that doesn't give her carte blanche to do whatever the fuck she wants in my life to me. That's not a parent. Mm-mm. That's a toxic, manipulative, potentially narcissistic person and they don't have any place in my life or in my brain even. Um so yeah, we don't owe our parents anything. And so for those of you who aren't in situations like this, I just want to go back and remind you that like we need to change the way we talk about this. If someone tells you they don't talk to their family um, or a certain member of their family, the, the response should be something like, that must have been hard for you. I assume it was a good choice. And we just let them teach us. We don't assume. We don't jump to judgment. We we engage in, in healthy, helpful, supportive conversation. Cool? Cool. Okay. Question number three. Hi, Katie. I'm a college student with BPD that lost my apartment and is now living with my family while doing college online. I know a lot of you are in this situation. It's terrible. Do you have any tips on asking for more space during this pandemic? I think the thing that we're all missing with this, because trust me, Sean and I are stuck in the apartment and we work from home normally, but I get out of the house at least once a day for a few hours, you guys. So this is been hard on both of us because even though Sean's not as social as I am, I'm not here. So he gets his time here. Do you know what I mean? It's this like, uh, it's this comfortable routine we've gotten into where we both get our needs met simultaneously. Um, and so when it comes to family and space during the pandemic, because trust me, I have, a, I've heard from a lot of you that you're like back at home and you're like, I haven't lived at home for like two years. What the, what's going on? Why am I here? It's just terrible. Um, we have to communicate. That's the key because I've said this before, but expectations without communication are just resentments in the making. And I think it was Casey Neistat's wife, Candace, who said that on their podcast is like years ago. Um, and I just loved it so much. It's so true. And so when it comes to family, we have to learn to communicate. And I think the best way to do it is it, first of all, is not blaming. There's no, you always, you did this. It's, I need, okay, I feel I need, I would like, it would be nice if I could get. Um, those are ways we want to frame our language. And so when it comes to speaking to family to be like, hey, I need more time, or more, or not more time, more space, I think it's something to the effect of like, um, before, before we're in it, we don't want to yell at anybody in the moment when they've popped into the room and we're like, hey, dude, I told you I needed some space, get the fuck out. We don't want to do it then. We want to do it ahead of time. So Let's say we need uh, an hour of alone time to do our workbooks or to maybe to do therapy or we want to journal or we just want to sit in silence with our earbuds in and listen to music. I don't know, whatever. We have to tell people. So we have to tell um, 
if you have a younger sibling and they're just going to go against you because you told them, then just tell your parents, tell somebody who's responsible and not a dick. Okay. So tell the whoever parent, uh, siblings, people in the house and be like, Hey guys, um, I know this sounds silly, but I'm going to go into my room or into the office or into the whatever, whatever area. And I just, I just need some time for like an hour. Is that cool? I can set a timer if you guys want it, but I just need that time to like do my own thing. That's all. The most, like most often the response probably be like, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh Uh-huh. And you just say, okay, cool. So just, uh, if you guys don't mind, like just, you know, leave me alone for about an hour. And you could even say like, Hey, this has been hard on all of us. We're all feeling a little stir crazy. I'm just going to go in the back by myself. Can you guys like leave me alone for about an hour? Most people will be like, yeah. And say, even if you need something, hopefully it can just wait. Okay. And then we're just going to reinforce. So if we tell them, hey, I just need this hour, this half hour, or whatever, this group of time, I'd start smaller, like half hour hours. I wouldn't do like, hey, I need the day. Get out of my face because that's a lot for people. So starting with those small increments. And then if someone comes in, you can say like, hey, remember I, I said I needed a space, so I need my hour. Um, can I talk to you about this later? Okay. And if nobody bugs you, then when you come out from taking your break, you have to like hold to your boundaries around it, right? Like it needs to be about an hour. Don't go like just disappearing forever. Cause then we want to come out after an hour and say, I know this, it was, it seemed silly, or I know that it, this seems like a small uh, thing that you did, but it, I'm really grateful for you for giving me that hour. Because we want to reinforce positive behavior, right? That's something that we want them to keep doing. And we want to tell them that we're grateful. And so that's what I would just do is like, if you need more space, if sometimes it can feel like people are just everywhere. And like, for my friends who have kids are like, they're always touching me and they want to climb on me and you, you know, communicating to your spouse that, hey, I need 30 minutes by myself. Can you handle that? And then I'll give you a 30 minutes by yourself. We all need the space. We just have to communicate so we can plan for it. And then we can try to reinforce good behavior. We can reinforce them allowing us to have that space and to take that time alone. Um, But it's new for all of us. We're used to like the ebb and flow of life. And like, you know, you don't have your apartment anymore because you were in college and now you're not. So why rent another space? I totally get it. So it's like, I'm at home, but shit, I don't want to be at home. Like I understand it all. Um, But we just have to take that time to communicate and it's going to feel weird and it's going to feel silly. And you probably get some snide remark from like a sibling. It's like, yeah, whatever, shut up. But that doesn't matter. We have to practice. We have to start telling them what we need and then telling them, thank you for giving me that. Because believe it or not, after you've said it for a while, even that like bratty sibling that you might have will say, I know, I know you need your space. Like they'll cut you off while you're trying to say it again. They get sick of it, but that means they hear you. That means they understood and they learned it. Perfect. Then we're primed to get the time that we need. Cool. It kind of reminds me not to bring this back to sex in the city, but man, that show's so good. When Aiden moves in with Carrie, if you're not a Sex and City person, maybe just skip ahead like 30 seconds. But when Aiden moves in with Carrie, she just has like a studio apartment. It's it's kind of like a one bedroom the way it's set up, but there's no wall. So it's technically just a studio. And she's like, every time she's venting to her girlfriend, she's like, every time I walk in the door, he's like, where you been? Who you see? What you do? And she's like, I just need to breathe. Like, it's living with someone. It's different. He's in her space. She's not used to it. A lot of us are feeling that. I'm not used to them in my space. Why do they ask all these questions? Why are they always talking to me? I don't want to talk anymore. And then she tells him, when I first get home for like an hour or 30 minutes, I forget the time. She's like, I just want you to pretend I'm not here. 
I just want to come in. I want to sit down. I just need some quiet time. And he's like, okay. And so when she, then she's like, I'm just going to, we don't have any walls or doors. So I'm just going to close these blinds. And she sits on her bed. And then she says something that's really interesting. She's like, the thing about space is once you have it, you realize maybe you didn't need it as much as you thought. And I don't know if this rings true for this person, but I'm that way. I just need to have, I need to be able to give myself the permission for the space because then I can take it whenever I want. It doesn't feel like a a thing that I can't have. Um, Anyway, I just like that that episode and I like the message and it it is the communication. Um, And she didn't do the best job of communicating it, but Aiden's wonderful and super sweet. So he just understood. Okay. Question number four. How can I cope with my parents being toxic to each other all the time? This got a ton of thumbs ups as well. And I think a lot of us are just dealing with family and family is rough. Trust me, the holidays in like the therapy world are super, super busy because everybody's coming in to try to figure out how to deal with their relatives in general. So right now we're all dealing with it and it's hard. The thing about parents being toxic to each other is just say thank you Jesus, God, whoever, all being power, something. Thank you, universe, for it not being directed at me. And then we walk away. I know that sometimes you're like, but they're screaming in the house and I have to hear them. Put your earbuds in, do your own thing. Get out of that situation. It is not up to us to interject into anybody else's relationship and tell them to stop. Then that just turns the upset onto us potentially and brings us into it, which will only make our th- like our days worse. Also, again, we have to remember we can't control other people. Nothing I do is going to make someone do something else. I know this is hard. Trust me. I struggle with this all the time as well, but it's just something that we have to remember. We have to keep telling ourselves, hey, I can't control anybody else. If I'm putting all of my energy and thought into like, if they would just do X, Y, Z, then I'd be happy. We're never going to be happy. You're putting all the, you're giving them all the power. Take the power back take it back. And the way that we do that is we control ourselves. So in this situation, if your parents are being assholes yelling at each other, uh, I give you permission to get up from the table if there's dinner and be like, I'm going to eat in the other room, you guys. I don't want to be around you fighting. Okay, we can do that. If they start shouting and you're watching TV, you get up, you leave the room, you go do something else. Um, You can just avoid it as much as possible because we can't make them do anything. You can if you feel safe enough and if it's okay not when they're doing it, but at another time, say to one of your parents or both of them, hey, you guys have been like yelling at each other a lot and it's hard to be around. You know, have you guys, what's going on? Like, have you guys thought about, you know, maybe talking to a therapist or or what's the problem? You know, you can get into it then if you want. But again, that's not going to make it better. That's not going to make them do anything. That's just you calling it out. And that's all we can do. We can check in, we can call it out, we can be like, hey, I'll, I've heard of Talkspace or BetterHelp, you could do online couples counseling, that might help. Everybody's having a tough time now, you could normalize, but in the end, at the end of the day, it's up to them to want to get better and want to fix it, and that's not on us. We can't do anything. All we can do is check in, support, and protect ourselves. We don't need to be around that toxic bullshit. We can walk away. We can get up and walk away. We can go do something else, and I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to just take the space and time you need it. And kind of back to that other question about how do you ask for space? I would, you know, you could practice that too and say it because man, it is exhausting. It's hard to be around unhappy people all the time. And especially like shouting and they're your parent. It's just so complicated. It's so uncomfortable. So the sooner we get out of that situation, I think the better. So yeah, limit your amount of time around them. 
Okay. How are we doing? We're good on time. I'm cruising, you guys. We're moving more quickly. Last week, I definitely rambled, but sometimes it's fun to get off on tangents and my, like, let my thoughts just kind of take me where they want to go. Okay. Question number five. What types of experiences are considered traumatic? For an experience to have been traumatic, does a person have to fear for their life or can it be the things that are, can it be things are just emotionally or psychologically distressing? I love this question and I will be, get excited, I will be writing a book all about trauma and one of the chapters is specifically catered towards this question because I think a lot of people don't know what's considered a trauma. And I actually have a video from... I don't even know. But I, I would even add to it a little bit more from back in the day where I'm like, what's traumatizing or what is what does it mean to be tra- like something to be traumatic? And the truth about it is, it, it's like two parts. Number one, in order for something to be considered a trauma, we have to fear for our life or the life of someone else. That's kind of how it's been talked about throughout the years. However, the more that we learn about trauma and the way that it affects our brain and our behaviors and things like that, the more they say that, yes, that can be a component of it, but the the bigger picture and really what trauma, what means what it means for something to be traumatizing is it's too much for our brain to process in the moment. It's too upsetting. It's too overwhelming. It's too scary. It's too whatever for it to be processed in that moment because everyone's level of ability to process is going to be different. And some of us who've already been traumatized, let's say I already have PTSD, I'm more likely to feel traumatized by another similar situation, even if it's not as intense because of that past experience, right? That would make complete logical sense to me. And so in a way, or like um, also in my book, I'll be talking about like transgenerational trauma. Like if our parents, uh, you know, let's say our mom was, had, had complex PTSD and had been abused and, um, And so she acted in a certain way around men who looked a certain way or around us or situations. And so we pick up on that and we can have uh, trauma responses without personally being traumatized. It's like trickle down from our mom. And so I say all of that to just say that if something is overwhelming, it's overwhelming to our system, it's too much for us to process, that would be considered traumatic. Because um, if you don't remember, I talk about the trauma memories, like from the um, the movie Inside Out. The I love that film, and I can't talk about it enough. But her memories, this little girl's memories, are marbles that they roll away. And um, traumatic memories are they aren't they aren't able to be formed into marbles like a story, because that's how we usually uh, create memory is through narratives, through storytelling. But because something's too overwhelming, right? We can't process it. We can't put it in story form. We don't even know what to think about it. And so it can't be made into that marble. And so it's like, as our brain's trying to put it together, it's like, hmm, hmm, it's thinking, it's processing. And it's like, I can't do this. Well, and the marble drops and shatters all over the floor. And that's a trauma memory. It's too much to process. We can't put it into a story. We can't put it away. We can't file it. Um, It doesn't mean that we can't heal through it and get better because we can. But that's, that's how I that's what's traumatic. I hope that kind of makes sense. So what types of experiences are considered traumatic? Anything that's too overwhelming for your system, you don't have time to process it. Um, For an experience to have just been traumatic, or for an experience to have been traumatic, does a person have to fear for their life? They used to think that that was the only cap, that only reason, but I, it's much more than that. So yeah, can't, things can just be uh, emotionally or psychologically distressing. Correct. Um, yeah. And I'll be learning more as I re- do research for the book. Cause I've just like, just 
starting. So there's a lot more books and research that I need to uh, read. And I'm going to consult with a bunch of my colleagues. Um, Dr. Alexa Altman will be one of them. She's a wonderful uh, trauma specialist and great friend of mine. So yeah, so hopefully that helps. And I think that there's just so much to talk about when it comes to trauma. And there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings, uh, right? Uh, PTSD comes I don't know if you guys know this, but if you looked up like uh, shell shocked, that's what they used to call it before they had post-traumatic stress disorder. It was men coming back from war. That's where they noticed it. And trust me, trauma happens more frequently outside of war than it does in war. But it took a huge group of people coming back with the same symptoms for us to recognize it. So um, yeah, anyway, off on a tangent, but that uh, things to come next year. Okay. Question number six. How can I stop imagining terrible situations and reliving embarrassing moments, please? Oh my God, this is so common. I've even had, I have a tough time with this. What this really is, is anxiety. If you rewatch my video about generalized anxiety disorder, you'll, you'll hear me talk about how it is, uh, it's like overwhelming worry that no matter what we do to try to stop the worry, it doesn't stop. So uncontrollable worry, I think is what they call it. Um, And that's what this is, because we're reliving only terrible and embarrassing situations. So it's like that anxiety mind is going crazy and spinning. And I, there's a couple of things we can do. First of all, talk to a therapist, I find that my rumination, or nighttime thoughts about bad situations, things I've done, stupid things I've said, that one time I was rude to this person and I feel bad about it, or, oh my God, people are going to hate that video I just filmed. I mean, I can worry about everything, you guys, trust me. So when that's happening, I do some thought stopping techniques that can be everything from like just last night, for instance, I started stressing out because today was a super busy day. I had to film two videos uh, I wanted to do a funny TikTok. I have this podcast. And then I had a couple little uh, snippets of videos that I had to put together for World uh, for Mental Health Month in May. So I had a bunch of shit to create today. And last night I started going through my head of like, oh my God, I have all this stuff. How much stuff, um, you know, I have to do blah, 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 like worrying, thinking about it. You know, And I started like maxing myself out, getting super stressed. And I get like hot and sweaty. Like it's like stress sweat. It's horrible, you guys so annoying. And then I can't sleep because then I'm hot and I'm uncomfortable. My mind is racing. It's a bad spiral. But what I did is earlier in the day, I'd felt really, really calm. I was watching a rerun of Sex in the City, um, the love charade one, uh, where they go to the wedding in the Hamptons. And I felt really calm. And it was just nice because it was like outdoor wedding, the lilacs and the music and everybody loves a wedding. And, uh, you know, it was just a nice warm summer day is what I imagined. And so I started taking myself there in my brain, I was like, I don't have time for all this work. Like, it's not not going to help me to think about tomorrow right now at all because I'm already prepared. I've done everything I need to do. Like, let's knock this off. So, I started thinking about lilacs and this lilac bush that my grandma used to have, and oh, it smelled so nice. I started taking myself through all the things and those summer nights and like like the Fourth of July. So that's what I do for thought stopping. I've I've told you guys a lot to like tell yourself a favorite memory, but I you can even just name things and like let your brain take you through. I don't know memories and little tidbits that you associate with that, like me going into like all of a sudden in the 4th of July and like at my grandma's house as a kid and my brother and my dad lighting up the fireworks. You just, I could go, I could just tell you a whole bunch of stories right now. And you know what? I fell asleep. Boom. Fell asleep. It was amazing. So 
when you find yourself just ruminating on these terrible situations and these embarrassing things, you need to force your brain to stop and you need to take it somewhere else because it's not going to help you at all. And I, I really believe that at the root of it, it's, it's an anxiety problem. It's something to do with our, our anxious mind or even depression a little bit because it's like only the negative. But if you don't know, if you haven't heard me talk about this, our brain is wired to seek out threat. Makes sense, right? We assess our environments. We look for things that could be harmful or threatening to us. And that works when we're cavemen or women and we hear a bear in the bushes because we can run away and not die. It's amazing. Keeps us alive. Thank God. However, it doesn't suit us so well when we are in modern day. Like, for instance, if that's part of that wiring is what makes it easier for me to remember all the negative comments over the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of nice comments. Always remember like that one negative one. So annoying. And then I can like ruminate and think about that like for like all day, all night. It's terrible. But that's because our brain's kind of wired. So we have to like rewire it. It's like a new muscle. We have to pull it away from those negative, not serving our life or our movement forward thoughts. And we need to put it into a place that's like, totally different. I don't necessarily think in order to stop these, we have to like move it into positive thoughts because not all negative thoughts have to be like turned positive. Some of the negative thoughts are just bullshit that we just don't need to think about anymore. I don't need to say like, oh, that situation wasn't really that bad. Let's look for some silver lining. No, I just don't need to think about it. It's over. I can't go back in time. I can't change it because trust me, I've been there too. I've done things that have been embarrassing. Like I, guys, the, the number of embarrassing, stupid things I've done over the years is endless because I'm a human too. And it's not going to do me any good to think about them. So instead, I'm going to take my brain somewhere else. And so that's really the best thing is just the thought stopping and then getting treatment for the anxiety, talking to a therapist. That could be medication if that's something that you think would benefit you. Um, but I really just, and I even have an anxiety workbook. If you guys didn't know, you can go over to the iBook store and just search Katie Morton anxiety. I think it should come up. And I think it's like a buck or two bucks. Um, it's six videos, six chapters, um, all about anxiety. I did a ton of research. Uh, this has been a couple of years ago now. Um, but you can download it on your iPad or your phone. And you can access it that way. Um, and hopefully that's helpful too. And I also have a ton of free videos about anxiety if you want to learn more. But I really think that that's what's feeding this and making this so much more difficult for you to like get over and to stop thinking about Um but trust me, I do it too. And it's an exercise. We have it's a new muscle. So be kind and compassionate to yourself. Don't be like, oh, why are you thinking about that again? You're so stupid. No, then we just created a whole nother negative thought spiral. So try to keep it more positive. Okay. Okay. Question number seven. Is it normal to constantly wonder what your therapist thinks of you? Or to replay a session in your head and think about how you should have said more or said more or said some things differently. I really like this question. This got a lot of thumbs up as well. I think it's normal to wonder what your therapist thinks of you a little bit, but if it's constant and the worry is is like, I don't know what's a good word for it. I guess like palpable, like you could just feel it. It's everywhere. It's like no matter where you turn, there it is. That's a problem. And I really think that this is an anxiety. And that's kind of why I paired these together is the question before about like stopping those thoughts and replaying sessions in your head. It's the same type of thought pattern. And we all get stuck in these thought patterns. And so 
what I would tell you to do, my advice for this is, is to do the things I said earlier, like get treatment for anxiety, which you're already seeing a therapist, so that's awesome, um, and do some thought-stopping techniques. But because you're already in therapy, I think it's amazing and it would be super, super helpful for you to bring this up in therapy. Tell your therapist, hey, I like replay these sessions forever and it drives me crazy and I think it might be anxiety-driven. I'm not sure, but I had to tell you about it because I hate it. Excuse me, I had to burp. Um, but saying that, bringing it up, giving yourself the opportunity to talk about it and process it and figure out why it's happening can be really validating and really helpful. So that's what I would encourage you to do is to bring it up in therapy and process it through because it's not normal to constantly worry. It's normal to wonder like, because I over the years have periodically been like, I wonder if my therapist thinks I'm like an asshole or does she think that I'm like a good therapist in my own practice or does she think that I'm doing this wrong or like does she think that I don't even need therapy. I've had all the thoughts, but I don't let it bother me outside of like five, 10 minutes after session or maybe five, 10 minutes leading to session or something. And that's it. And so we want to get you to that place where it's not like a constant thought or worry in your mind. It's like something that's there, but you're like, mm, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, but I, I think it's anxiety driven. That would be my, my hypothesis. So yeah, bring it up. She'll help you talk it through, figure it out, um, and it'll get better. But keep us posted, okay? Okay, question number eight. Hi, Katie. I was wondering how um, how you recommend dealing with the feeling that you're leading a double life. This is the second time this kind of t- uh, question has come up or been posed to me in one way or another in the last like week. So it's really interesting. Specifically in the sense of being around family who don't know about your mental health issues. I think this is why, because we're all home probably such as anxiety, eating disorders, trauma, and your sexuality. I know that I'm keeping this information private for a whole host of reasons that pertain to my family's role in my mental health issues, but I still feel incredibly guilty for lying. I also am struggling because it's really draining to have to keep so much secret when I'm home from college. 100% agree. Keeping secrets is exhausting, and it's easier to tell the truth, but not in this case necessarily. But that's why when people say they'd rather lie about something. I'm like, consider the energy that goes into that because that does take a lot of energy. But this is tricky. And a lot of us feel this way. And I think that if you're out there and you're like, I feel this way too, but my family is not so terrible. And I don't really think that they are the reasons for my mental health issues. Then I think it's important that we learn how to talk about it and communicate that to them. And that's something we can role play in therapy until we feel confident and comfortable saying it. Because if there is a way for us to not lead a double life, I would encourage that. However, in this person's case, because they said their family doesn't know about their mental health issues and it's, you know, it pertains to their role in it, <clears throat> meaning it's not the healthiest situation. So we don't want them to know. And for good reason. Um, I think. I think it's all about how we talk to ourselves about it. And I know that that sounds really simplistic and you're like, Katie, this is really complicated. And yes, it is a very complicated situation. However, I do believe it goes back to how we talk to ourselves about it. This isn't really leading a double life. I know it feels that way because you're stuck at home. However, normally it's like I lead my life, they lead their life, and they don't need to know everything about my life. That's the conversation with ourselves about it. Just because their family, kind of going back to like cutting ties with family, toxic family members, if it's in the same vein as this, okay? So think about it that way. Like, hey, 
Um, if I didn't have to be home right now, I wouldn't because I don't really like being around them that much. And they definitely haven't been the best. And that's kind of why I'm struggling with these things. So I live my life and they live their life and they don't have to know everything about my life. And I th- it's just giving yourself the permission to not share everything. And I know you feel like you're li- you have to lie and like, I would, and if you can, if there are ways, I would try to avoid lying as much as possible. I know that that's not always possible, but as much as possible, like keep the conversation away from that stuff. And if, if they ask you a pointed question about your sexuality or mental health issues, you can't, you know, I give you full permission to lie when you need to, but I'm just saying that that might help as well. If you feel like you can get around having like these lighthearted conversations and keeping things like a certain surface level, you know, then that might help you feel better because then it's like you're not really leading a double life. You're talking like normally about things that you're comfortable talking about. Um, and it might also be helpful for you to take some time to consider like what you're okay with them knowing and what you're not okay. It sounds like there are pretty cut and dried lines, but even just thinking about that, giving your brain time to process it and figure that out can keep you. Uh, from feeling like, oh, like they poked a button and you have to lie or you get upset. You know what I mean? It can help us feel more in control of the narrative and how we talk to family, how we deal with family. Um, But again, it's just how you talk to yourself about it. You have your life, they have theirs, and they don't have to know everything about yours. That doesn't mean it's a double life. It's, It's really what you're allowing them to know about you and what you're not allowing them to know about you. And not every person in our life has to know everything about us. And just because their family doesn't give them permission or give uh, doesn't excuse bad behavior mean that they should be able to know everything and have access to everything about us. Does that make sense? It's kind of like it's a privilege for them to be included in your life. And right now they just they can't be part of it because they, they're not they're not holding up their end and it's not safe. And you don't need to apologize for that. You don't need to feel bad about that. Really, the thing is, and I this might be, and I'm just rambling, sorry, but my thoughts on this are more about like, maybe you have to grieve it a little too. Because there is that thing going back to, I think it was the first or second question where I was talking about what relationship, the expectations you have for their relationship, what you wish was happening, and then what they're able to give. And we have to like figure that out. And then we have to grieve the difference. And that is just a huge part of therapy for me when relationships have ended in the past or have had, um, you know, fights with people in my life. It's like, if we can grieve that difference, like, oh, I wished it could be this way. I wished they could show up for me. And I wish they could be understanding and supportive and loving. Um, Like, then we look at what they're able to give and we're like, well, hey, they, they really can't show up for me there, 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 or there. But they can um, they can be supportive about school. They can be supportive about my friends and my interest in music, or I don't know, come up with a few things. And be like those are the things that they can do, and so that's what I'm going to focus on. Um, and I'm going to give myself time and allow myself, give myself permission to grieve those things that aren't included in what they can give us. Um, and yes, it's hard, and yes, it's painful, but. What that means is that then we feel like it's going to, it's going to lead to us feeling, uh, what's the word you guys? I mean, it's kind of like, it's going to allow us to kind of uh, relax into that relationship versus what we're probably doing, which is fighting it and like, oh, I hate it. And I, oh, they're going to catch me at this lie and that lie. 
instead of looking at that way, it's like, Hey, I can't, they can't be a part of these things because they can't show up for me that way, but they can be a part of these other things. And if they ask about those other things, I'm just going to say, you know, I'd rather not talk about it. None of their business. That's okay. Or you can lie. It doesn't matter. And do you see what I mean? How it shifts it. It's like grieving that difference, being honest with ourselves about what they're able to give and noticing our self-talk about it is is really the key to it. And yes, it takes time. And yes, it's like building a new muscle. It's going to be difficult a little bit, but it does get easier. It does get better. And it won't be as draining then because we'll have processed it. Because my guess is the draining is because you're like, uh, you're putting on a show. And what if we stopped? We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to tell them everything, but we also don't have to like put on a show. Like if they ask about things, be like, oh, it's just hard being home, you know, with all this coronavirus stuff. It's just, I'm tired. That's okay. No one's going to question that. And no, it's none of their business. Even if they do, no, I'm just tired. You know, we have to try to think of ways where we don't feel like we have to lie as much and feel like, uh, you know, um, and, and know that it won't be forever. That's another good thing too, especially with all this pandemic shit. It's like, yes, I think it's going to last longer than we'd like. It already is, if we're honest, but it's not going to be forever. Um, so there is an end in sight. Um, but yeah, I hope that that helps. I know I was kind of all over the place with that one, but I really think it's important that like that we grieve that loss of what we would like in a relationship and what they're able to give and then give ourselves permission to keep them out of our life. That's that conversation we have with ourselves. They don't, just because their family doesn't give them access and doesn't entitle them to information. Um, it sucks. It sucks when family's not supportive and they're part of the reason that we struggle so much. Um, but that doesn't mean that they get to call the shots and and ask for information and be involved in everything. Actually, it kind of means opposite. It means that like, if they can't be there for us, then we just get to push them out. So just, Yeah. I hope that makes sense. I feel like I'm kind of scattered, but I, but those are my thoughts about it. <laughs> okay. Question number nine, what to do when therapy gets too hard? I have certain topics I just cannot discuss for, um, for no obvious reason. They're just bad childhood experiences that I could never get over. I tried many times to talk about it in therapy, but I always end up retreating and running away from therapy altogether when I push myself. I'm just completely stuck. I've been like this for over a year now. This also got a ton of thumbs ups, and this will be the last question that I address on here. Um, I think we have to find, so I've talked about this a lot in the past, how when we're in therapy, as a therapist, I feel like I'm trying to like break into your information house. I know that sounds weird and creepy, but it's just how I visualize it. Like, oh, the front door's locked or not letting me in. Hmm. I'm going to go check the windows. Maybe I can scale the wall and get in to the balcony and that door will be open. I know that sounds really weird, but it's just the visualization for me. I, I love, I love that. So trying to find a way in. And it sounds like for this person, they haven't found a way in. And a lot of us haven't. We can feel like the things that we think and worry about, we can't really talk about and we don't really know why. And the when we push, we shut down or we find ourselves not wanting to go back and, and the cycle perpetuates, right? So my my goal for, the, for you would be to find a therapist that seems good, decent, you like them. They they seem to be on your side. They listen to you. They're they're empathic. They care. That's it. Okay. We want to find someone that feels safe and is a good fit. And then we want to slowly get to know them. 
and tell them that we tend to shut down and retreat after being pushed in therapy. Maybe we try journaling. Maybe we try creating videos. I had a patient years ago who um, used to create videos and then send them to me as an unlisted link. I know for a lot of you, you're like, oh my God, that's terrifying. Like, what if I accidentally put it live? I don't know, but I'm just giving you some ideas. It could be on your phone. You could just record the video, send it straight over an email. I don't know. There's a lot of different things that we can do to get the information out to push ourselves to talk more that doesn't have to involve us just talking straight up in therapy when a therapist asks a question because most of my patients, I'll be honest, are not great at that. They're not great at me asking direct questions and then answering directly. They get better over time. But a lot of it is like them trying to like uh, change a subject, make a joke. Uh, some even try to manipulate like, oh, I'm just not feeling up oh, and they pretend they dissociate. I'm like, I know you, you didn't do the thing with your arms first and like come back here. Like, let's not, you know, we do all these sorts of things to get out of it, which is kind of ironic because we may take all that time finding therapy and getting in to see a therapist and paying for it and all that shit only to avoid it. <laughs> but trust me, I get it because it's hard. And the things that you don't want to talk about are the things you need to talk about the most. And it's just so it's so tricky. So I think overall, it's best for us to try other ways, try video, try writing it, try bullet pointing it out, Um, bring it up in therapy for sure. Make sure you tell your therapist like, hey, I have a tough time. Um, There's certain topics that I just can't really talk about and I don't understand. And maybe they can help you. It says that they're bad childhood experiences that I could never get over. So maybe a trauma specialist would be best. Um, I think it's it's very normal. And I'm curious what end up retreating and run away from therapy altogether. I wonder if there's dissociation in there as well in session or not, maybe not. Um, but it, it comes from us trying to find a new way to communicate and a new way to get it out. And then you got to white knuckle it sometimes. Therapy is hard, you guys. I've never pretended to tell you that therapy is like easy and like presto fixo. I wish. I've been in and out of therapy for years and years and years. And I, even during this pandemic, I'm like, I think I need a new therapist. Like, I love Jana, but it's just not as good as it was anymore, like before, because I think I need someone who's a little bit tougher. And I've tried to tell her and maybe I'll try, you know, so you just think about these things and it's expensive too. Like I'm paying cash because my insurance is shit. So whatever. Anyway, let's not get into me. This isn't about me. It's about you. But therapy is really hard. And at some point, you're going to have to say, I got to go back. I don't want to, but I got to go back because I don't like the way I feel. And that's really it. Trust me, I've had patients in eating disorder treatment centers try to like flee the compound, like try to run away. And I'm like, oh, I mean, you can you can run away if you want. That's fine. Like it's not a locked facility either, by the way. But I know how hard therapy is. I'm just saying that to say like people want to run away and not come back. I have taken breaks in therapy when I'm like, I probably should have kept going. You have to keep pushing yourself. It has to come from us because that's where the hard work is anyway, right? Like a therapist can only work as hard as we work. And if we're not working hard, they can't do anything for us. So I say all of that to say like, find another way to communicate it. And sometimes you have to fucking push yourself. And I know it's uncomfortable. I know you probably don't like it. I know it's hard. Um, But we've got to keep pushing. And it, I think it's all about the timing. And I think finding the right therapist will really, really help this because even when you say like, you know, certain topics you can't discuss, there's ways around that. I have patients for years and years who've always said like, oh, well, you know, but I don't talk about stuff with my dad. Like, and that's clearly the main reason that they're self-injuring or having depressed, depressive symptoms or panic attacks or whatever. 
And I'm like, okay, I hear you. Okay. Um, so tell me about your mom. Like we just start with somebody else, something else, a different topic that slowly leads back to that person. Because I find that we, when we say, I just can't talk about this, it's too hard. It's hard, but we've, we've told ourselves that lie for so long that we like believe it. I can't talk about that. Not it's difficult and I haven't figured out how to properly do it. So even in that, maybe it's changing the way that you talk to yourself about this. It's not therapy's too hard and I can't do it. And as soon as they try to talk about it, I have to leave because that's not the truth. That's a past experience. And I don't believe our past experience have to dictate our current and our future. So maybe instead of saying when, you know, all of that, you say, therapy has been difficult in the past and I haven't quite figured out how to process some of my childhood experiences, but I'm, I'm working on it. Okay. That's like a bridge statement, right? We're kind of like living in the possibility, the maybe. And so I'd encourage you to spend time doing that. I'd encourage you to think about it that way. I'd encourage you to go, try to find another way to communicate about what's going on. Um, yeah, because therapy's hard and it's not going to get any easier, but we do need to find a good match from a, a a real, a good, maybe potentially trauma therapist, if you can. And then we're going to have to push ourselves. We're gonna have to do the work and you're gonna have to keep coming back. It's hard, but kind of not to quote, uh, AA, but keep coming back. It works. If you work it, they say that in all the meetings. If you guys don't know, I used to take, uh, the patients at the eating disorder treatment center to AA meetings twice a week. Cause we had a lot of, uh, people who also struggled with substance abuse issues. Um, and open meetings, obviously, for if any of you are worried. Um, anyway, so we go to the open meetings and I would, they would always say that and I would like that. I'd be like, yeah, you got to keep coming back. It works if you work it. And that's therapy. It's going to be hard. It's not comfortable. You might not want to talk about certain things for a while. You don't have to talk about them right up front, but you're going to have to get to it like when you're ready and when it's, when it's okay. And you're going to have to challenge yourself to do that. Um, trust me, I know it's not easy. And, but that's where the growth and that uh, comes from. And that's where therapy really starts to work. So give it a try. I hope that that helps. Um, I think that's it. We're at about an hour. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. The questions are great. You guys have so I'm, I still am going to pull some more for next week from the same uh, community post. So if you're listening to this now and you're like, shit, I didn't get my question in, go to my Katie Morton channel go into the community tab and there's a post that says, Hey, I'm filming another episode of AKA and I'll leave your questions below. So pop them in there. I haven't pulled those ones yet. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for, thanks for being around. Thanks for hanging out with me and I will see you next time. Bye. Ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know.